Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss what's been affecting world markets and how to select a great fund with Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Ian Aylward, Head of Fund Selection, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Hello, welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. Uh, This week, we have Ian Aylward back to shine just a bit more light on the businesses selecting funds, which is such a sort of core component of of what we we do in the markets and and how most of us tend to get access. So before we get into that, we're, we're, we're going to, as ever, hear from Will, our resident expert. So, so Will, anything that you can share with us? What's going on at the front line? Oh, hello, Nikki. Hello, Ian. Yes, we've seen a bit of a bounce in equities, what we tend to sort of call kind of risky or economically sensitive assets this last week. I'm not sure I'd pinpoint any particular news flow to explain that bounce. I mean, there does seem to be a little bit more optimism about uh, a deal for a bit more fiscal stimulus, government stimulus in the US, but I'm, not, I'm still not sure that's not dead cert still. The economic data has continued to come in um, okay for the most part. And uh, and I think sort of, you know, the, the, the implying that the world economy has continued to recover from the lows uh, plumbed earlier in uh, in the year, a, a little bit slower in some places than it was, but, but that's to be expected. Um, for those more interested in the UK economy in particular, rather than shorthand it, I would point you to a very uh, interesting speech from the Bank of England's uh, chief economist, uh, Andy Haldane. Um, he's sort of taken stock of the recovery so far and had a look at what, what's in store. I, thought, I, like, I, think, I, think, I think that's well worth a read uh, for those interested. Otherwise, the there was the Imperial College study uh, looking at uh, swab tests taken between, I think it was the 18th and 26th of September. They show infections have uh, substantially increased in the last uh, in the last month, but that the rate of growth may be slowing, leading some to suggest that uh, some of the sort of fairly light restrictions imposed over that period uh, to date seem to have already had some effect. A final point, I would also, uh, just just for those interested in, in that particular sort of story, I, I would really recommend listening to Tim Halford's uh, Radio 4 uh, podcast more or less. Um, I think they at least cover the complexity of interpreting the statistics on COVID, um, uh, among other things, uh, very thoroughly and very well. So well worth a listen to for just sort of trying to get the context uh, right and just understanding just how complicated and how much uh, information you need just to be able to sort of interpret these statistics correctly. Yeah, good recommendation. Is that is that one for when you're out jogging or or more a uh, you know as you're doing <laughs> the washing up? <laughs> In the days I used to jog, maybe yeah, but washing up would <laughs> be the most appropriate. <laughs> okay, and and Ian, so we've had your your wisdom on this podcast a couple of times before, mainly talking about impact investing. So investing not only for, for financial gain, but but also for sort of social good ergo impact. This time we're going to focus a bit more on on your broader role within our investments team as as head of manager and fund selection more generally. So just for the benefit of our listeners, what what exactly does that entail? And and can you give us a bit of an insight into into your team and and what they do? Sure. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Will. So when we invest our clients' money, typically we will allocate it to specialist external fund managers on their behalf. For example, a handful of managers in each of UK equities, US equities, investment grade bonds, etc., etc. Now, actively selecting bonds and equities from the tens of thousands available globally takes time and resources. And we think it's best done, therefore, through harnessing the skills of the world's finest investment managers. And that is where my team come in. 
So we spend our days seeking out those leading fund managers wherever they are in the world, as well as, of course, monitoring those that we already employ. My team numbers are nine. We're highly experienced and qualified. We're all based in Canary Wharf, or, or, well, or at least you would be in more normal times. <laughs> and uh, the average tenure on the team is well over a decade. We speak over half a dozen different languages between us, and we've got a raft of degrees, postgraduate qualifications, professional qualifications, such as the CFA as well. Good, good. And so from a, from a philosophical perspective, a, a lot is out there, you know, is often written about active management. And particularly, you know, when we had the bull market, the proliferation of, of relatively cheap passive vehicles mm. sort of you know, somewhat seem to to um, presage the death knell of, of active management. Can you explain the investment team's beliefs when it comes to active or passive, or is it a bit of both? What what's your what's your philosophy there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing to say is that you know active and passive are not mutually exclusive. You know, it's not and or. We do believe that active management can add value over time, but we also recognise it's often appropriate to use both approaches in tandem to varying degrees. And those degrees vary based on a number of considerations. Now, the most obvious one, of course, is that some products do have fee ceilings. And so passive funds, which are always cheaper, may have a more significant allocation in those. Another example is that it's harder to outperform by being active in certain areas, certain asset classes, so large cap US equities, government bonds, you know, often cited in, in the literature. And so it may make sense to tilt more towards passive funds in those asset classes. Finally, and very importantly, when you want to shift asset class weights rapidly, you know, to employ tactical asset allocation, for example, it makes sense to do that using passive vehicles rather than disrupt, if I can use that word, the, the incumbent sort of active funds with those short-term flows. What is certain, though, is that active management is, is certainly not easy. And with the proliferation of cheap passive funds, as you quite rightly say, it's essential that we have the dedicated resources in place to successfully select the active funds, which we believe are most likely to outperform in the future. Yeah. And, and I know that one of the sort of very commonly used phrases in, in our industry is, of course, past performance is no guarantee of future results. It's actually a cornerstone of our of our approach to selecting active managers, isn't it? Because you know, it, it, if if it was if it was a case of just well find find the best performing funds, I mean, pretty much yes. anyone can do that with the right kind of filters. So, how do you go about it? As you say, there must be millions, trillions of fund fact sheets and other documents right across the globe with that footnote, and and, and quite rightly, <laughs> some podcasts know, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very close to home. You know, and we have, you know, we have five key areas that we assess when we score and ultimately select active funds. And and just one of those concerns past performance. We don't have enough time to go into the other four of of, of those areas today. So you'll have to have me back yet again, Nikki. Um Okay. But good dang but, but, on, there. <laughs> yeah, but, but for today, about too much secret um, sauce, Ian. <laughs> But for today, on that point of performance, um, yes, the statistical evidence does suggest that there is very little relationship between the past performance of a fund and its future returns. We do think it's important, though, because other historical quantitative measures do persist 
through time. So examples of that would include risk or style. Um, in other words, you know, a fund tends to have the same style or the same risk you know, consistently, persistently over the long term. And if I could put it perhaps another way, you know, a scientist doesn't ignore the results of past experiments. And so we don't ignore past performance. Got it. So it's it's one component, but certainly not the, yeah. the be all and end all. OK. And, and you mentioned their styles. So a lot, again, has been written about investment styles. And, you know, I think I think most people would acknowledge that the, the popularity and, and performance of the more growth oriented style of funds versus the value funds have certainly been stronger over over mm. recent years. But but take a yes. step back. Can you just explain to, to me and the listeners what, what fundamentally is the difference there between growth style funds and, and value style? I have to keep it super simple and, and try and cover it off in a sentence. Growth investing means you know an equity fund that is looking to invest in companies underlying companies that have sales or profits that are increasing at a greater than average rate. Value investing sounds good. Means, <laughs> that yep, sounds yes, good. sounds good. I think value investing sounds good too, though. That That's investing in companies that appear cheap. And so actually over the long term, both approaches, as you say, buying things that are growing more rapidly or things that are cheap, have outperformed. Uh, and of course, you know, even better if you can find those very rare firms that have both both characteristics at the same time. Right. Many asset managers, so fund firms out there, have quite a bias, it seems, towards growth. How do you manage through that when you're trying to select funds for use within you know, our, our client portfolios or funds? Well, this is an interesting question. And I think if, if you went back a decade, or perhaps even you know, five years um, ago, I might have challenged that assertion, you know, the assertion that um, man, many managers have a have a bias towards growth, but I think you're right. You know, nowadays I do observe that more recently, you know, because value investing as a style has been out of favour for, for for so long, and has underperformed. Um, yes, there are now more growth styles of fund available than there are, you know, value funds still standing. If I can put it put it like that, um, but our view within Barclays in the UK is it's really important to have a balance, to have a balance of those styles, both value and growth alongside each other. I would say, just sorry, just jumping in, just because I was just looking at the statistics while Ian was talking. And I was, this is something we've talked about before, but a bit before, but there is so far this year, a 33 percentage point difference um, in terms of uh, the returns of what you know, Ian was just talking about there is growth versus value. You can cut it another way, uh, which is, you know, you can, this is a little bit more rough and ready, to be honest, but these two regions roughly embody this style. So if you look at US, it tends to embody growth style. UK tends to be a bit more, you know, in the value camp. So there's a 29 percentage point difference uh, between UK equities and US uh, US equities so far um, this year. So it's astonishing. And the problem is you've got as, a, as an investor, and just this is, you know, to Ian's point, is it's very difficult. We don't think it's possible in advance to predict that kind of, you know, that that, that, kind, of, that kind of outperformance or underperformance. So really, it's just again, it's a reminder: just diversify across styles. It's, it's you know, it, it's it's um, if you don't think you can pick in advance which one's really going to going to do that amazing kind of trick, um, which again, I don't think is predictable reliably. Some people will claim they have the special source, but I'm not sure they do. Then yeah, you've got to diversify across styles and accept something in between. And 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 also that that 
sort of patience is a virtue as well, right? Because mm. um, it can be very difficult to continue to hold what, what might seem an unpopular view and, and therefore pressure can be applied. You know, we certainly see that with some of the value investors out there, their funds, um, you know, a lot of pressure is, is put on them externally. But, but, you know, this is where investing for, for the longer term is definitely can play its part and, and, and you right. can yeah. end up with assets that are incredibly cheap. Well, that goes back to Ian's original point about sort of, you know, that past performance is, you know, is, is an input uh, into mm. their um, into their very robust process. But you don't want to exaggerate its, uh, its ability to tell you the future. The regulators are right um, and Ian's right, obviously. <laughs> That's nice to hear, isn't it, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me so, that thinks so, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> so, anything else to add? I mean, I think that that's a really, really important. So, so the the stats you shared there will, uh, you know, I think I think are are so notable in their in their extremity. You know, of course, it, it does mean that that we do get a lot of questions from customers and clients that hold some of those funds that are perhaps a bit more value in nature and and really sort of questioning whether they should keep that patience um what what would what would either or both of you say to them well i mean from my perspective it's really just about you know asking yourself whether you feel you can predict the future um and, and that's really the, the the big point here and i think what what the danger of investing always is and we say this almost weekly on, on this podcast is, is is something called momentum investing it can work in the short term and that's really just backing the winners that have been winning over the last month or year or, uh, you know, maybe even a little bit further back than that. And, and the point that we always make is that, you know, you've got to be prepared for the world to change um, every now and again. It, it doesn't always, uh, you know, it can run in long cycles and regimes where, you know, common macroeconomic or sociopolitical factors can help certain types of investments do well. Uh, and I think this last regime has been very much about the growth style, as Ian alluded to. But there is easily imaginable worlds ahead where, you know, we saw slightly the slightly perkier inflation data in the US today, and maybe that continues and the regulatory regime changes. Maybe the regulatory backdrop turns against some of these very famous growth names, and maybe interest rates start going in the other direction. So all sorts of things can happen in the path ahead, and you've really got to prepare for that as an investor. And it's really just about, like I say, you're always going to be having, not just within the equity space and in the fund land, you've got to accept that you're not always, uh, you know, that's your, your investments should not just be concentrated uh, into a batch of recent winners. You're also going to have some assets and funds that maybe haven't been doing so well recently, but we believe in our process to select those assets uh, and funds uh, to deliver uh, you know, returns for the future in a the myriad potential futures that exist ahead, not just a continuation of the recent past. Great stuff. Good, good. Well, listen, Ian, thank you very much for joining us again. We look forward to having you back on where we will hear about one of your other five P's. So so we've done performance. We'll we'll have you back for the other four in, in due course. But thank you very much for joining us and, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.